0: Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at JapanbyRiverCruise.com and due to the generosity of our corporate sponsors, this week's show is brought to
1: you by Japan Tours International. Cherry Blossom in full bloom. A cup of warm, expertly prepared matcha. Late night strolls to pokey neighborhood sake bars. If you're picturing your Japan adventure in 2022, then call us today. We'd love to hear from you, you fing idiot. Obviously, you're not going to jostle with the rest of your stupid bus store to get the best shot of Kinkakuji. Hint, it's never going to be as good as one of the literally thousands of professionally taken ones, so don't even bother. Clearly, no one's going to want to go for a pint with you when you are the reason people think that a new variant is spreading. Oh, and that amazing restaurant you really wanted to try, it's closed for good now. So if despite all evidence to the contrary, you're still planning your epic vacation to Japan next year, then we want to hear from you. Seriously, we'll even let you book your entire trip. You're so stupid, we're betting you don't even know how to ask ask for a refund japan tours international we're angry because we don't have a business anymore
0: hello brian and welcome back to japan by river cruise i'm bobby judo and i'm ollie horn And joining us this week is Tobias Harris, the author of the abiography, The Iconoclast, former risk analyst at Teneo, and senior fellow for Asia at the Center for American Progress. You'll remember he compiled a report on the geopolitical implications of that massive river cruise passenger database that was breached in 2018. But for security clearance reasons, we're not going to be able to discuss it here. Tobias, thank you for your service. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. On this week's show, Critics have called Japanese Prime Minister Kishida too much of a known quantity. And this week, Kishida clapped back with, Yeah, I'm a known quantity, and that quantity is a 62% approval rating, baby. We'll ask Tobias about what other ways Kishida could negatively impact our own lives to get across that coveted
1: 65% line. Plus, Ali's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, Bobby, this week's recommendation is for Foucault's first gender-neutral river cruise. I'll be interviewing later in the show all the people who are inexplicably angry about this. Fair warning, there are a lot. Also, we'll check out the Celebrating American Animation River Cruise Akihabara.
0: Set sail with all of your favorite animated characters from The Simpsons, SpongeBob SquarePants, Adventure Time, and more right here in Japan. Now with 100% less humor and 3,000% more merchandise. All that and more coming up, but first, it's
2: so.
1: So Brian couldn't be here tonight because his wife asked him which was more important, recording the show or her birthday celebrations. So tonight he's spending some time thinking about how he's going to break the bad news to her. Mm. Uh, Tobias,
0: you've analyzed international policy risk and you're a senior fellow for Asia. Uh, isn't that a bit ironic, considering that one of the largest policy risks for Japan as a nation is arguably having too many senior Asian fellows? <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and we're off. <laughs> <That was laughs> but, you know, it's not just Japan, right? I mean, you know, it's uh, yeah, too yeah. many senior Asian fellows is a problem that many of Japan's neighbors are also coping with so um,
1: i would like to ask you tobias about uh, the fact that you are a commentator on japan but you're not based in japan do you feel smug about this because i do <laughs> um
2: i mean look i i miss japan and you know would love to be back and commentating about japan from japan um as soon as the borders are open for me to do so um but, you know, sometimes, I, I mean, look, just dis- having distance can be healthy, mm. you know, and, and thankfully these days, you know, I've got my streaming TV and my newspaper subscriptions and, you know, the delightful chatter on Twitter. And you can, you know, you can glean a lot from that. And sometimes All right. that helps. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but Bobby and I our face lit up when you described the chat on Twitter as delightful. <laughs> we are now going to probe you about that.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um... We're we're very involved in the uh, Japanese hot takes Twitter sphere, and on Twitter, everyone has an opinion, especially about Japanese culture and Japanese politics. But you've had an entire career where it's been your job to have a well-informed opinion about <laughs> Japan. So, so I'm curious as to what you think of the state of kind of Twitter discourse in the Japanese Twitter sphere.
2: Well, you know, look, I, I you know, also. You know, started sort of my career doing this as just you know an anonymous blogger writing about Japanese politics. So, you know, I've I've you know been a a, a person talking online about Japanese politics for a long time. Um, and, you know, and a lot of that blog discourse has now moved to Twitter. So there's some quite good uh, analysis, I think, available on Twitter. I think you know people have found a way to use it as a uh, valuable medium for sharing good articles and things like that. But at times, you know, I I think. Um, there are things I see that um, are irritating and, and the most notable thing being, you know, the, you know the, the regular expression that Japan is somehow not democratic or just you know, sort of matter of factly. Of course, Japan's not a democracy. And I think it is just such it's just bullshit. It is just right. bullshit. So,
1: so w- without naming names of people who routinely get things wrong, like Jake Edelstein. Hey, hey, hey. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's Jake Edelstein. Uh, Oh that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I'm gonna be rude about him, I'm gonna be rude correctly. Uh enemy of the show. And uh, and most frequent wh- guest. <laughs> <laughs> After Rochelle uh, What uh what are the takes w- like what are the most common takes which you think this is just lazy? People are just saying this because other people say it.
2: You know, well, I've seen a number of very bad takes about Abe. Um, you know, and oh he's, you know, well, you know, he's a Nazi or he's you know, and look, like the the Japanese right wing, there are plenty of um, odious opinions on the Japanese right wing. But, you know, the point is that, you, I mean, they're a fact of life. And if you're going to look at them, it's worth getting them right and sort of understanding where they're coming from, which is why I ended up writing on, on an almost 500 page book about Abe, because I thought it was important to get some of the the nuance right. I mean, look, there I... I you know, I'm, and I did not write that book as a fan of him, but I thought it's important to understand and and to get the facts right. And just too often, I think um, there are a lot of uh, lazy assertions about the right when there's plenty of legitimate criticisms to make, and people are just too you know just you know just too um, loose with the with the facts. I think about about the right wing.
1: How big a gap is there between the bad hot takes in the English language Japan politics Twitter sphere and the japanese twitter sphere
0: oh there's got to be a much more diverse range of of all sorts of takes good bad and just batshit crazy in the japanese yeah i
2: mean you know and 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 which is which is fine you know like when you're when you're sort of talking online about your own country's politics you know there's sort of uh the sort of forgiveness you know it's a democracy you can have all whatever it's your you know you're welcome to have whatever mm-hmm. opinions you want and it's you know it's not you know people people can have whatever opinions they want online i mean you know there's not there's not a a bad take police unfortunately <laughs> well bobby does um, his best i do yeah, i do because man some people would be in trouble if there was <laughs> um but you know it's it's like if people are in japan it would you know i mean i think um i mean it's almost just as a matter of courtesy you know do taking you know doing the work to understand the place where you're living i mean i you know, like maybe that's, you know, curmudgeonly of me and, and reflecting my age. But, you know, that, that um, you know, the and, the, you know, the, the fact is, I don't think there's an excuse because I do think there's a lot of really good analysis out there and a lot of really good insight. And you don't have to work that hard to find it. And so, you know, you know, ultimately, I, I mean, I would just like to see people just like put in the work and, and do, you know, try to find yeah. it where it I, exists. I'd like to see that. I'd also like to see people
0: more willing to kind of be like, whoops, I made a mistake. I, I don't mm. know so much about the political uh, takes, but I'll see a lot of like Japan culture takes or Japan like bad English takes. And I've seen, I think I saw somebody criticizing like Japan's wet aged beef there was some shop that had a sign that said wet aged beef and wet and dry aging for beef are, are a thing. And it wasn't yeah. English. And I pointed that out and they were just like, yeah, but it's funny. It's like, yeah. yep, it's funny, but it's also inaccurate. <laughs> it's not funny for the reason that you originally yeah. said. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this juncture, uh, you know what, Ali, you I can see you're looking for a segue. Just go. Speaking of wet aged beef. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, The segues segues to this next section get worse every week.
1: (laughs) Alright, so speaking of wet aged beef, we need to thank people for uh, buying us wet aged beef money. Uh, This show is now officially not asking for money for coffee. We are contributing to our wet aged beef fund. So we have two people to thank. The first is Pat Sheehy, who bought 500 grams of wet aged beef, who says, hey guys, have an annual sub. Uh, so that's getting us a lot of wet aged beef. Um, by the way, quick segue. Have you heard of the Beef and Dairy Network podcast? If there's, okay, if, there's, if there's, there's, no, you haven't. Okay, if there's any listeners to this who are looking for a new podcast and, and like this style of humor, if that's what you could call what we're do now doing, go and check out the Beef and Dairy Network podcast and report back. Try an episode, you'll piss your pants laughing. Anyway, Pat he says, Have an annual sub. Your work brings me a lot of genuine enjoyment, and I wanted to say thanks in the best way possible. Money. Wrong. Money's the second best way possible. Bobby, what's the best way possible? Wet-aged beef. That's right. Hope the barbecue is going well. <laughs> can you barbecue wet-aged beef? Probably you not, it you won't can. see ya. Okay. And hope that Ollie's tour was good. Uh, Actually, my tour was bad. Um, And Bobby and I will discuss why it was bad uh, in um, our secret show. If you want access to the secret show, join our mailing list, com. And we got another 100 grams of wet aged beef from someone else, didn't we, Bobby? Yeah. RM Holdsworth
0: bought us a coffee. And uh, this was funny. You know how they say charity is relative? Uh, On first glance, I looked at this account name, and I thought it belonged to my friend Reed, who is an international lawyer who owns his own law firm in Tokyo. And I know what he bills per hour. And I saw this, and my (laughs) first instinct was like, dude, one coffee, come on. But then I double-checked, and it's not his account. It's someone else's. And in their profile, it says that they do, quote, uh, digital content. So I've revised my reaction to sincere gratitude for this incredibly generous donation. (laughs) Thank you very, very much
1: of half of this person's net worth. Uh, thank you very much to both of you. And finally, we are going to have a special holiday show, a seasonal festivity show uh, that we're, we're going to be recording next week. So if you'd like to send any festive messages uh, for us to read out to the other Brian's, then please do so by going to JapanByRiverCruise.com and clicking on the Fax Us button. With that, Bobby Judo, shall we jump into the news?
0: Bobby Judo, what's in the news this week? Prime Minister Kishida's approval rating is up, uh, which is something that I read in a series of articles that all seem to find the smuggest-looking picture of Kishida I have ever seen. Um, does this mean he's starting to come into his power? Tobias, could you give us a, a little bit of an idea of how you see the current power dynamics in the LDP?
2: Well, after you know Kishida, when he won the LDP's leadership back in uh, late September, you know, he came in with some pretty disappointing approval ratings, certainly compared to his predecessors. And, you know, it certainly looked like he was not going to have uh, a honeymoon period. And after uh, a surprisingly strong performance in the general election at the end of October, he now, I think, is belatedly enjoying that honeymoon. And I think um, whereas, you know, the talk when he first took office was, well, he's, you know, a puppet of Abe, he's a puppet of Osso. um he's not going to uh, you know, he he doesn't have enough power of his own. Now, at least, he, you know, I think has shown, you know, by winning an election shows, you know, you know, I think, look, the party loves a winner. And so he showed that he was a winner. Um, he was given the opportunity to really choose his own secretary general in a way that he hadn't been when he first won, uh, when Amari suffered a, a rather embarrassing uh, defeat in his own seat, although in his own district, even though he, he did, he was revived uh, via proportional representation. And so, you know, that that gave um, Kishida a chance to, to move Motegi over from the foreign ministry to the LDP secretary generalship and then pick his own man uh, and longtime Abe rival, uh, Hayashi Yoshimasa, as foreign minister. And so all of that, I think, allowed him to flex his muscles a little bit. Um, he's... He still has the same problems he had before, though. You know, he he is the relatively moderate or liberal head of a party that has a very strong right wing and is going to be watching everything he does. And if he if he is perceived as uh, deviating from what they want, I think they will let him hear
0: it. So I've I've heard you speak in the past about this idea that Japanese prime ministers don't have as much political power, as much political control over shaping policy and making decisions uh, as kind of administrative heads in other countries. Um, to what extent is Kishida kind of beholden to to fall in line with what other people in the government want him to do?
2: Well, I mean, you know, for the past quarter century or 30 years or so, I mean, the prime ministers have gotten stronger. They have been able to set the policy agenda more than they had uh, sort of pre-1994. Um, and, and so you've had – I mean, you've had a, a big shift really in favor of the prime minister, and, and Abe um, promoted that and then took advantage of that during his long tenure. And you know, the, the question I think what's interesting now is whether we are going to actually see the pendulum swing a little back towards the, towards the LDP precisely because of these dynamics where you have um, – you know, a prime minister from a relatively small faction, from an ideological tendency that is not necessarily the mainstream tendency now? And will he be forced to bend more to the party uh, than, say, you know, Abe, who represented the dominant tendency within the party, uh, you know, kind of flexed all of the, the Policy making power that he had and that the prime minister's office had, um, you know, will Kishida be, be more constrained, um, because of his political circumstances. And, and that sort of remains to be seen. And, and I think even if the, the balance shifts a little back to the party, you know, because of institutional changes, uh, Japan, you know, Japan's prime ministers are just so much stronger than, than they used to be in the past. And they, they are capable of deciding what the government should do in a way that, um, you know many cold war era prime ministers would have envied
1: but are are they stronger just because they're better at managing
2: their party i mean some of it is that some of it is just that the the ldp has changed in, in so many you know that the factions they still exist um but it's unclear you know exactly you know how powerful they are when it comes i mean certainly they're not necessarily policy making entities you know they're not they're not group you know they're groups that are really much centered on the personalities at their heads and are uh basically clubs to advance the prospects of their members. Um, But even then, you know, when, when prime ministers form their cabinets, you know, they're not necessarily hewing to a strict factional balance, maybe like they did in the past um, when they're distributing, you know, sort of the, the, Vice minister jobs and and sort of the lower level political jobs, those are not necessarily uh, as a result of factional influence. Um, And, you know, the other big changes that were in the past, you know, you did have these, you know, policy tribes in the LDP that would uh, that would basically Determine what policy was uh, in coordination with bureauc, you know, with bureaucrats, right? So they would meet with the bureaucrats, and the prime minister would say, "Well, hold on a second, I want to do this," and you know, the policy would sort of be made um, at the lower levels with backbenchers working with, uh, with bureaucrats. That just is not really the case anymore, and mm-hmm. that you know, the LDP as a policymaking entity, it, it just does not have that kind of clout anymore. I think there are people in the LDP now who would like to change that and maybe go back to a. a an era where the party was stronger in policymaking. I mean, I think some, you know, um, Takaichi, who's now the head of the LDP's policymaking outfit, I think uh, would definitely like to flex her muscles mm. and influence the policymaking agenda. And we saw, uh, yeah, we're seeing that in certain ways, but it's not, as, it's not as institutionalized as it used to be. One of the things that
0: will always exert influence on what politicians in power do is uh, public opinion and public reaction. And we recently saw something sort of surprising with the reaction to Kishida's entry ban and some of the backtracking that he did there. And I think I saw a lot of people um assuming that that he was gonna come across as weak for going back on on some of what he said with the entry ban, and then we saw this turnaround where his approval went up,
2: and there are um what was it eighty six percent of the country I think, I think it was eighty nine in in yomuri i think eighty nine percent approval, which you know it's very hard to find eighty nine percent approval for anything, so yeah that's I mean, it was a pretty striking what, what did he do? So this was the decision to, uh, I mean, at least the way the, that question was phrased, was asking about suspending, uh, booking international, you know, international rivals. In the,
0: there's, there's two elements. One was um, the foreign entry ban of non-Japanese nationals. And then there was the other, like, complete entry ban. Uh, and I think stopping, flights. stopping yeah. flights altogether. So even Japanese nationals would not be allowed to return. And that's the bit that he backtracked on so i think there was a sense that the flip-flopping was going to show weakness but instead he's come out of it somehow looking very strong
1: yeah i mean but it kind of stands to reason right it's like oh i'm making a policy which is not going to affect you potentially only for the better in the public's mind obviously people are going to go yeah fine brilliant
2: yeah i mean in the way that i mean we can i mean the way that question was phrased too i mean i think there's you know there's only so much you can take from it what i think it tells you and you know and, and so much i mean this is you know in every country you know every country around the world um over the last you know almost two years now um you know that some of the politics of you know dealing with the pandemic are i mean some of it's just about showmanship right mm. and showing okay we're taking this seriously we're acting decisively we're acting swiftly and you know oddly enough i mean this was always i thought the paradox, the paradox of abe and um and COVID, you know, that, you know, here's a politician who, you know, if you read his book, he opens, you know, there are politicians who fight and there are politicians who talk basically or don't fight. And, you know, he, you know, always presented himself as someone who's going to be decisive and, you know, good in a crisis and he would react and he would, you know, do whatever it takes to defend the country. And here he was faced with this like genuine international crisis, you know, both, you know, with multiple, you know, multiple dimensions, public health, the economy. And, you know, he, he dithered uh in ways that I think uh were actually quite surprising, just given how he talked about himself and mm-hmm. you know the kind of way he presented himself as a politician and and was actually very you know dragged his feet and was very reluctant um you know to act you know when when it was required of him, and he paid the price for it you know really his numbers really uh really suffered i think, and so you know again a lot of it's not you know we we should be careful um uh, that often it's not about the substance. Often it is about appearances. And I think that's the lesson Kishida has learned, um, you know, look, going back to the LDP leadership election, you know, you know, being very clear, you know, fighting the pandemic is my number one priority. You know, I'm not going to rest on our laurels. Yes, the numbers are down, but I'm not declaring victory. You know, this could get a lot worse. You know, there could be mm-hmm. another wave. We have to be ready for it. And I think he's learned the lesson that a lot of the, you know, benefiting politically from, the pandemic i mean and that sounds maybe kind of like a weird thing to say but you know to to make it uh you know to, to not suffer you know what you know in ways that suga and abe did that you have to be willing to 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 look strong and to look decisive and
0: even uh, if what you're doing is not scientifically
2: sound or yeah i mean i mean and that yeah i mean that it's very much it's not necessarily about um the best policy or the right you know that a lot of it is about you know showing that you're taking it seriously and and maybe that um is a knock on democracy and and you know why are people so easily you know mm. sort of impressed by that but um but that seems to be how the politics of, of COVID have played out
1: there is a distinction between the politician themselves looking strong and their policy making being strong and consistent i remember when i first subscribed to the economist which was back in 2013 the first issue i got was that the cover said? Uh, Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Japan, <laughs> and it was a picture of Abe dressed as Superman with the word Abenomics underneath. And that that legacy of kind of Abe being of Abe being linked with the economy, and Abe himself being kind of a a, a strong one track minded leader carried through his premiership and and back to when he returned. Is there any chance of Kishida generating that same kind of? image about himself linking to one key policy.
2: You know, it's, it's, it's hard because I think, you know, it, it goes to show the influence Abe had and that he has, I think, constrained the options available to every one of his successors, you know, mm. that, um, you know, so, so in the end, he, you know, he, he kind of wrote the, the, the blueprint or, you know, drafted the blueprint and it, it is very hard to see what room, Kishida has um to chart his own course or to come up with his own vision and you know that yes he's he's talked about you know new japanese capitalism but then when you look at what's actually being proposed under that uh, they're all things that were done during the abe years and maybe that's because he was around for so long and, and abe had a kind of throw everything against the wall and and see what sticks approach to to economic policy making but the reality is i mean he tried a lot of things and mm. it's at the moment, it is very hard to see um, anything really that Kishida is doing that's dramatically different than things that Abe tried.
0: Well, talking about new capitalism and Abenomics, um, even that recent stimulus package that Japan approved, I mean, recently approved its, what, second largest ever economic stimulus package. Did Abe kind of pull the strings on on that behind the scenes as well?
2: So he's he has been quite vocal about this particular stimulus package and but but again, even more than pulling the strings. It's 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 actually even bigger than that. And for me, you know, I think the most but important I think I thing, saw an
0: article where he said he he was quoted as saying something that was roughly along the lines of
2: like I told Kishida
0: to do it and he's gonna yeah, do it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean yeah, I mean I, I you know that and what <laughs> Maybe we need to take some of that with a grain of salt because I think, I mean, again, because I think there was so much pressure pushing in the same direction. So for Ave to say that you know I, I issued the marching orders, I mean I think it was bigger than that. But also he can take credit actually for something bigger, which is you know the LDP in 2012 when he became leader again um, was in many ways a fiscally hawkish party. You know where where the dominant I think position was you know we need to reduce our debt, you know we need to, to balance the budget, and you know you know very you know aggressively in favor of raising the consumption tax and what the ldp now uh you know almost a decade later uh is now uh predominantly in favor of more deficit spending mm. and that i you know he i think you know i i think made the ldp become you know much more comfortable uh with deficit spending i think he has marginalized the fiscal hawks so that you know they have a much harder time making their case um you know and we saw this we saw this very unusual essay by uh the gimigicon of of the finance ministry during uh the L- the general election campaign where he criticized politicians of all parties mm-hmm. for their willingness you know to to spend money um and sort of disregard deficits and deficit spending and you know the ltp now you know after you know during the pandemic you know massive deficit-backed stimulus packages and they're still doing it and so you know you almost have people now in the ldp who are, who are quite comfortable uh basically embracing modern monetary theory and saying you know we don't have to worry about default you know we have we issue our own currency we don't have to worry about this we're fine
1: mm-hmm. and
2: that is a huge intellectual shift and it is one that now seems actually fairly embedded um the right wing seems to have embraced it. And given the power they have in the party, uh, you know, that is going to be a lot of pressure in favor of continuing to run deficits. I mean, I think, you know, I, I've now taken, you know, you know, maybe you've seen on Twitter, you know, the LDP is now the guns and butter party. You know, we're going to give you more defense spending. We're going to give you more Social Security. We're going to give you more fiscal stimulus. And, and we're going to be the, you know, we're going to press on the gas of fiscal stimulus. And that's, you know, and, and we're going to be that party. And, and that is a huge change.
1: Well, it's very nice to hear that Abbe is behind one big package, because uh, obviously the biggest mistake was he sent 66 million little packages uh, of, <laughs> of rubbish masks. So at least he's learned that lesson. Um, th- there's two things that you've said that I want to pick up on. The the, the first is, uh, do you think this is kind of a COVID response, that governments all around the world realise that, well, they've got to respond to COVID? Maybe that means printing money. I mean, the, the Conservative government in the UK is spending at a rate that, Labour governments were having wet dreams... Potential Labour governments were having wet dreams about. So it's part of this that there's this this appetite for deficit and government spending uh, has come from the fact that the public are now cool with it because of COVID. The second thing is, you mentioned military spending. So can we talk about whether uh, whether Japan's uh, going to start being a bully boy? So <laughs> first, first, first let's talk about uh, this deficit and whether that's a, a temporary... Th- Thing where it's only possible because there's an appetite for it because of covid and then later can we have the scary scary talk please sure uh, <laughs> so i i mean
2: just quickly on the, to the first question i mean i think you know some of course you know covid you know such a a unique situation and emergency that it, i think it led a lot of governments to uh shed their inhibitions about deficit spending, you know, and also you had had years of very low interest rates, you know, and and I think, you know, you look at low, we can borrow and not, you know, not worry about how much it's going to cost us to pay it back. And that's actually, I mean, the remarkable thing about Japan's giant debt mountain, you know, that everyone talks about, you know, you, you know, their interest payments, considering how big that is, you know, when you're paying, you know, virtually no interest, you know, it's, you know, fine, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you can, you can, you can, you know, it's, it's sustainable. Um, is it sustainable forever? This
0: is the exact same conversation I had with my wife about buying the house. <laughs> but,
2: you know, over, over, you know, a, lo- a long enough, over a long enough time horizon, you know, c- you know can they assume that interest rates are going to stay like this forever? I mean, maybe, maybe not the best, but it does seem like they have, uh, you can certainly run larger deficits for longer. That, that certainly seems to be the consensus. So, um, all right. So the second question um <laughs> you know, I, I look, I, I, I actually, I, I think, um. You know, you look at how much you know China is now spending on its military, and Japan is not coming anywhere close to that. So when we talk about who you know the alarming defense spending in, uh, in East Asia, it is not Japan. And I think you know, I, I don't you know for all, you know, kind of the talk about well, Japan reached the one percent limit, which was not actually a formal limit by any means. Um, you know they're they're not going to come anywhere close to 2% of GDP defense spending anytime soon. You know, the LGP can talk about how they want to get there. It's not going to happen. I don't, you know, there's, I think, going to be a lot of pushback within the ruling coalition from Komito. I think there are a lot of domestic priorities that the public is going to expect the government to meet before they get anywhere close to 2% defense spending. I think, you know, you talk to... Uh, defense policy experts who know a lot more about this than I do. Uh, you know, I think there are real questions about Japan's ability to even uh, find things to spend on, you know, that that you know that it doesn't, you know, it, to absorb that much defense spending. Um, a lot of any spending incre- increase would end up being absorbed by manpower to a certain extent, and that's really their biggest expense at this point. Right. You
1: know? So can they just lie? Can they just say that they've spent all this money? <laughs> Keep everyone happy, scare China, and when they go, what have you spent it on? They'll go, oh, like special invisibility tank. <laughs> they <go>, ah, <laughs> very good. Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 110 of Japan by River Cruise. Don't forget, Christmas is coming up and the most important person is you. So by yourself a monthly membership to Japan by River Cruise at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Japan by River Cruise.
0: And thank you to our
2: guest this week, Tobias Harris. Tobias, it really was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks. It was really great. I really, uh, really enjoyed our chat. Um, And keep an eye out for my forthcoming review of Defenders of Japan in uh, in Nikkei Asia. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks for listening, and we
0: will see you next week.